I don't, I don't look at it in that. I'm not like, here's my subject matter. What form shall I put it in? It's mm-hmm. more like um, I'll get an idea and I'll start writing and it either comes out as a scene, as dialogue, as a monologue, um, the way Boy Small did, or it comes out more, um, you know, as an essay, like, I mean, I, cause I mean, I, and I, I write so much. I actually don't think it's essay. I think it's composition, but we can talk about that later. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. David get a little saucy, so be forewarned, your sensitivity is not their problem. The Literate Ape Cast is for people who can handle both their liquor and their gag reflex. Don writes with a sledgehammer, and that's only a soft plug for his book, Belief is a Sledgehammer, but Don... Don, he, like he, he fuck, he beats the keyboard and words and uh, and this. There's just there's weight and heaviness to it, and it's obvious. And not this is not a bad thing. But no, no, you, I, you write. I, you write. I write the way someone would build a house. You know, it's very, it's very yeah. physical, and it's but a MC, lot of words. All of your writing, in all of your 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 plays that I've seen, your essays on your website, or the things you've written for Literate Ape it has the same weight. Like it doesn't leave me the way, you know, in the same way that like Don's just sits on my head. Like it, it's, st- but yours is like this. <laughs> it's like Don is writing with a broadsword, and you're writing with a, a rapier. What's the opposite of a rapier. Thank you. Yeah. 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 It's but like, so he's building a house and I'm just like slicing. No, no. he's like digging out the hole and you're putting in the foundation and building like beautiful homes and it's all See, interior, the interior decoration is gorgeous. Like, since we're just, using I, the I architecture just, theme, I'm going to say I'm building the frame and you're making the stained glass windows. Ah, sure. Yeah. That's, that's I like bit, that. Sure. And then what's I just, David doing? I'm, I'm just listening. Like I just, I read your stuff and I go, God, I, I read your stuff in the same way that I read like Hunter Thompson stuff or Tim O'Brien where I'm like, ah, why do I even bother typing? Well, see, the, the thing is, it's so said, funny like, that because I've heard him say like, this. You're way with you, language. You're very you're kind. You guys, you're very kind. It's well, David, you're, David, you're David said this take before. language and you use it in such an artful, clever, intelligent, uh, militaristic way. So I just, I just love your stuff. And, and the thing I, I, really I think is so like, funny. I really David, really you. admire you and look up to you. David has said this before about writers where he's like, Oh, I just feel like I, I well, why am I even doing this? My response to your writing is the same response that I get when I read David's writing or when I read Eric Wilson's writing or when I read my wife's writing or your writing, which is God damn, I wish I wrote that. How do I write that? What do I have to do to write that? And that just Isn't inspires that weird. I've, I feel that I felt that too. And it's like this, it's, it turns writing into such a weird performative. Yeah. It's like, cause, cause I feel like when I have that feeling about things I've written, it's, it's, it's like, why doesn't, why, 
it's like, why didn't I have that life experience and have that? Um, uh, for me, it's usually like, like the things I admire in you guys, and they're not the same things, but like, I think of Don and I think of, of like, you've read everything and you have strong opinions and you remember stuff. And like, I don't often, I'm more of a, like, I hone in on one thing. And then when I'm off that thing, I forget all about it. And I'm on something else. Like I said, broadsword rapier right there. Oh, duh. Yeah. Okay. But, but yeah, but it's just, it's like, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's, I've had that feeling and it's such a strange, like, why, why would you, why, why would we, I think it's just another way of just admiring something that works. Cause it's, it's, it's like, there's no, yeah. yeah, Like I'm not, if I did write that way, I would have a different brain. I would be a different person. Yeah. So I wouldn't be having this feeling because I would be somebody else. So, and you, you, and you're like, probably the, I mean, you, you are like a legit playwright. When I, when I moved from Las Vegas back to Don't Chicago, I wanted to means. Well, right. You've had plays produced and they were good. Yeah. See, I'm not a and legit. The reason it. I started writing essays in a blog in the first place was because Joe Jane's let me know that I was a shitty playwright with early days, early days in the, in the days of WDP. And I re- I realized the same thing. I was a shitty playwright. All my plays were sort of like George Bernard Shaw light where the main character was always basically me and every other <laughs> character was there to argue with me. And I was there. The play's whole purpose of the play was for me, the character that was me to prove everybody wrong. And every play I wrote was basically that construct. And then Joe and I sat down and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bad. He goes, yeah, you're, you're really bad. And I said, yeah, but I really like writing. I wow, said, I really like writing. Great. He said, well, do a blog. And I said, okay. But that's kind of how I, how I started the voice of the essays that I do. And I'm now, now starting to get into fiction, which I've never really done. So that's fun. Oh, that's, that's exciting. That's what's interesting to me is that like, there are, there are playwrights, there are novelists, there are essayists, there are, what are they? Um, a Memoirist. man of letters, whatever a man the fuck of letters. Is, right. You know, but like, there's all these different things. There's poets there, you know, the whole journalists, you know, Gonzo journal, all of it. And I think all three of us can write or have written all of these things, but we're, our strengths lie more in certain areas. Like Don's mm-hmm. not a good playwright. His strength lies in essays or more. Most of his strength lies in essays. Right. Um, I don't know these days. I don't know where the fuck mine lies other than, creative director stuff that is paying the bills right now, but the, the, well, that's a topic for another. I actually think that's a podcast, good guess, but I actually think but, that's a, yeah. Cause I think you're a very good writer. Um, but I do think, and, and, and MT, maybe you can answer this because, so how do you make your living? I'm just curious. Cause I actually um, don't know. I make so much money from my plays. You know, <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like, you're like the real playwright. Like, you live in a multi million dollar home. Yeah. I just uh, get are... thousands of dollars. Just sometimes I'll write one Goes and up. then I just get a direct deposit. That, like, yeah. Yeah. You don't even have to get it. You don't even anybody. submit it anywhere. Because no. that's like, what's that? That's the thing. Is, he's writing again. I just, I, I don't know if you listen to Megan Downs, uh, the Unspeakable uh, podcast. Uh, Megan Downs. No, is should a, I? 
She, yes, uh, I, I like Megan Down. She's a great essayist. She's written a number of really, really good essay books. I just think she's a great writer and I enjoy her writing. And she started a podcast called The Unspeakable. And the latest podcast, the one that just dropped, uh, I want to say like the last two days, is basically our MFAs, just another multi-level marketing scheme. Yeah, and and it's and it's and I mean it is a it, and that's why it's front of mind. Because I was listening to on my walk today, and it was like, man, how do you make a fuck in in a, in a in an economy where like in the nineties, you know, and that's when I started blogging. There was no the social. There was no social media. There was no. And as a Gen yeah. X guy, the idea of branding myself and becoming an influencer is so alien to my perspective, right? I, that's not, it's like, just write the shit, make sure it's good and get it out there. But there's right. so much, you know, why, 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 why write memoirs when you have media and every 22 year old in the world is writing memoir. And it's like, and so it's a really interesting thing. It's like, how do you actually do this with the outcome of income? Yeah, I mean, I I make a little, a very tiny bit of money from playwriting. Most of my bread and butter income is freelance writing. So um, that can be anything from business writing to um, the last few years. I've done a lot of uh, written a lot of like educational videos, um, fun stuff for uh, some kids publishers and kids video makers and um, psychology stuff and technology stuff. Now, does that get in the way of your creative stuff? Because that's one of the things that David and I've talked about, because I'm, I kind of, as, a, as is my want, um, I was a public school teacher and then I quit that night. Then I was a theater guy. And then I quit that. And then I was a WBEZ events guy, quit that, came here, did the casino. Now I'm basically at 55, reinventing myself as a professional writer. And I'm doing some of the, the, exactly what you're talking about, some of that kind of freelance kind of stuff. I've been working on article pitches to magazines, all kinds of stuff. I've wrote a book and, I'm, and, and actually they're looking at it now. And I just got some feedback from it about the casino. David, is a That's great awesome. writer and he has written a couple of really good books yeah. and he writes great articles. But one of the things we bitch about, or I bitch about is that he doesn't write anything for Litter Dave anymore because his job takes up so much of his time that he doesn't have time for creative writing. So how do you, how does your freelance job affect your ability to well, just let me, write your stuff? Let me just real quickly jump in there. Like it's, it is part, part of it is my job, but the other part is my dumbass went ahead and, had a family like so like the exhaustion if i have to like put harry down for bed like that those two hours of bedtime or playtime or whatever sucks on top of the regular work stuff and i love my job like i don't come home like oh god this is such a hard that was a hard wednesday i love i love my day job but i'm i'm tired like i work hard and then i come home and i play and i with harry and i try to be a good husband and all this other shit and when i have time to like okay it's David time now. I just want to fucking go to sleep. You know, like I'm yeah. like, I don't have the energy to sit down and poke. I just don't have the energy. Cause that to me is the equivalent of like running a half marathon. Like I need to be physically and mentally set and, and primed. So that's interesting. 
Because you know, all I need yeah. is an idea. My hardest thing about writing, especially like writing full time, isn't the writing. It's getting the idea of what to write about. Once I've got an idea of what I want to write, it, yeah. man, that just shit. And that's the thing is I do. You, you both, I assume, can actually type. Nope. See, I type with one finger. I was never formally trained in typing. I, yeah, I literally, the left type. hand holds the keyboard down so it doesn't fly away. And then occasionally we'll hit the shift button. Wait, where are you typing that you have to hold the keyboard down? That's like, a joke. Where is, thank you. It's, it's a joke that my hand, my left hand does jack shit. And then all of my typing is just with like one <laughs> or two fingers. I just picture you like on a park bench in I Las know. Vegas with, with a huge <laughs> keyboard on your lap. And you're like, whoa, hold this thing down. Like stop typing and walking. Sit down, dude. Well, no, it's like, the it's, find a it, desk. It's the big equivalent of a typewriter. You know when they do the dance on the giant keyboard. Sure. That's what that's yeah. what yeah. my typewriter looks like, and I have to actually jump from key to key. It takes forever to write anything. Wow. But, you, know. you know how to like formally type? Like the, the fox runs through the river. No, the, the hell I can't. That? No, not you. I know you don't. MT. Uh, I mean, I think I I can type without looking at the keys. Yeah. You're okay. a genius. So, so but, like you never took like a typing class or anything. No, but I did have a job. One of my first jobs out of college was at a law firm. And I, I was, I was like the receptionist and I also, you know, typed letters for the, the partners. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, I think my biggest challenge is focusing on one thing, you know, when it comes to like what to write, Mm. but you know, I think that I think in terms of like how you find the time or is this the right time? A lot of it comes down to how you're thinking about time too. like, Mm. David, you're saying like, I went and fucking had a family or whatever you just said, you know, good good impression on me too. That was no, that was dead on. That was exactly what he sounds like to me too. So, you know, in, in other words, like (laughs) It's, it's, you know, it feels a little bit like a backhanded way of saying, like, I, I'm not writing because, like, I got interrupted by this thing of having this huge life experience that yeah. is, you know, changing, changing you, you're the core of you. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, what are you going to like, who cares that you're not writing right now? Like, what are you going to write in 10 years? Yeah. Or, you know, like if you're not dead, uh, you know, like what, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you've got money running, like writing on when I'm going to die. Like the, <laughs> just the way that you delivered that was very like, David, there's only one reason we keep doing this Abecast every week, is that's because you're going to die and Harry's not going to know you. And then I'm just going to say, here, here are here are seven years of your father talking bullshit for hours and hours. Get to know him now. How much he hates Hanukkah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I think you do have to kind of have have faith in. the fact that, that you are, you know, you're a human being, you're on earth at this particular time, you're living, you're doing stuff and you're a very gifted writer and you have somewhere in your makeup, the um, compulsion to write. So like, whether you write a couple sentences at night or not, 
that that's part of you and it's there and it's mm -hmm. going to, it's going to return in some form, um, prob, you know, and it's going to be more interesting and richer yeah. and, um, you know, and same with Don, like, if I can't believe Joe James told you you couldn't write plays. That's just, well, he was right. No, that's the thing is, okay. No, All right. You got to yeah. understand Joe <laughs> yeah. and I, Joe okay. and I have a very good, see, Joe yeah. and I have a very specific relationship. We met each other um, auditioning for Second City's training center long before they had E's and A's and all this other nonsense. Yeah. It was just five levels and that was it. And we auditioned together, um, but didn't really formally meet. And then I got in and he got in, but we didn't know. Came to the first class and Joe Jane's first words out of his mouth to me were, oh, they let you in. And that has been our relationship pretty much for 35 years, which yeah. is, oh, how'd you pull that off? You? Okay. Well, that's that's the question I have for you, MT, is, you know, because I think you write brilliant essays. I think you write brilliant. I mean, every, everything I've ever read from you, I just think is brilliant. It's grand. Yeah, it's really grand. And so... If we go back to just a set example, and then I'll ask the question. Um, I th when I first met both of you was with the fine print theaters, uh, whatever that competition. Oh yeah. Was like I I knew who you both were, but that was the first time. Like oh, handshakes. You know, the play that I wrote was my six-year-old therapist. I wrote it he's, as a play for this. He's going to tell you that it won not, and oh, how it fucking no, MT, won. No, M MT's won I was supposed to direct it and I bailed so I could be in Joe's play and oh, yeah, yeah. So Don, MT, Don was originally assigned as my director. <laughs> but then like, and Bodie, <laughs> Heather Bodie was like, great director for you. You guys are going to be perfect for each other. You guys are going to love each other. Did it, did it, And we met and I'm like, yeah, this guy seems cool. Great. And then like, the next week he was, was like oh no he's out because he's going to act in james's well, film joe wrote or james's his, play joe wrote the part for me and it was it's and fine. he was like dude you have to do this role and i read the role and i went yeah i kind of have to do this role this is kind of yeah this is i mean because i think joe's a great writer and when he writes something for me he knows me better than most people do he knows exactly how to get right into me so I was like, yeah, okay, I, think, I gotta do that. Oh, but that, that was such a great scene. I remember that scene, David, with the the guy, the guy in the six-year-old therapist playing yeah. ball. Yeah, right, and, right. Yeah. And, and I think it was and so fraught and funny. I got Cody Stoneman as my director. And I think Cody like Cody was amazing. I love Cody. He did great work. I'd like to almost stage it again, but with Don as a director, just to see like how it would be, be different. Yeah. But anyway, in that competition, MT, your play was voted a, like you won and i i came in second and oh, was that how it was oh, okay. i don't think right. I, I don't think that play won no it did yeah it was uh boy small mm -hmm. i think yeah this, oh well yeah they did brilliant. end up producing it yeah yeah, yeah. david i david got, like, really this is a big point in his lifetime like a, like you know the first sex the first <laughs> drinking and then the this fucking play because he reminds me of this at least twice a month that I was supposed to direct this that play. You were supposed to do it. And then and lost. Blew me off. You yeah, and then yeah. you guys started a website and a set of events and a company yeah. and uh, yeah. like, you a owe podcast. Me, yeah. yeah. But my but my point oh, of this, this very long story is <laughs> I wrote the six-year-old therapist for that competition. Like, it was a play. And then I got done with the play and we like we we did a staged reading and and I reworked it and went through all the 
processes that we go through. And I was like, I maybe this is a movie because there's like, ah, I should probably turn it into a screenplay. So like I reworked it for a screenplay. I'm like, nope, this is still is not feeling right mm. for me. So I novelized it. I'm like, okay, yes, there it is. That's now going to be the source material. If I rework it into a play again or whatever, but like it, it belong that story, the way that I was telling it anyway, at the time, novelization, it needed to be novelized. So my question for you is, how do you know what works as like, this is a play or this is just an essay or are, are the just an essays they, when they become uh play I, I right like how do we how do you determine what you're going to write and how like what is the vehicle for what you write and do you do you ever struggle with that because to me you are a playwright who also does essays and is capable of so much more but playwright is the main thing and i wonder if you see yourself that way and when you sit down to write an idea that's what you're gunning for uh i think the way i think about playwriting is you know, something is a play, it, if either, I don't, I don't look at it in that, I'm not like, here's my subject matter, what form shall I put it in? It's mm -hmm. more like, um, I'll get an idea and I'll start writing and it either comes out as a scene, as dialogue, as a monologue, um, the way Boy Small did, or it comes out more um, you know, as an essay, like, I mean, I, cause I mean, I, and I, I write so much. I actually don't think it's essay. I think it's composition, but uh, we can Ooh. talk about that later. Um, cause See, most of the is, time it doesn't have so a much point. Smarter than we are. <laughs> no, I just, I learned this anyway. Uh, so it, so it sort of depends on how it comes out, you know, um, I can certainly, and I've, I've written plays. I, uh, remember Patrick telling me, I, I wrote a play called twin set, which mm -hmm. in my mind is definitely a play. And to me, like a play is a play. If, if it, if it needs to happen, needs to happen, whatever, if it, if it, feels like it 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 lives wants to wants to occur say it, if it needs to happen yeah i think if that's it needs fine. to happen in yeah. a in a space with live with live people like if there's something that makes that more delightful or exciting or alive if it's something where you know where it's happening in real time where um there's some give and take between the audience and the the actors um if it's something that's more about like a narrative, you know, that's, uh, and I have been working on, a, a, I started working on a novel during the pandemic and I'm um, still, I'm kind of in the querying phase of that now. Um, that's, you know, it's more narrative and it's, it's, you know, there's like he said and she said, so oh, yeah. that's not a play, I guess that's a novel. Um, right. So, so, you know, so it's, it's that. And sometimes, um, like with the, the, the stranded play that I just did, that was, yeah. that did, I mean, that was like, somebody asked me to pitch an idea and like, here was the theme. So I already knew 
I didn't have an idea yet, but I mm. knew the container was going to be theater. So whatever so I, idea, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I want to, I want to talk about Stranda for a second. So this was produced at Mudlark theaters, uh, Mudlark theater, and it just closed. Yep. It had like a week, a week run, like mid November. Yep. Um, was it for live? Was it was it a live performance? It was for and, live. And, it was, and like it real was, audience members. It was and like, like real that. audience. Um, nuts, yeah, man. it was pretty incredible. And, and and isn't it amazing that we've been through this experience where that's amazing? Because we were talking about like what makes a play. One of the and Joe and I've talked about this. What's really frustrating about this, this whole COVID thing has been people trying to do theater via Zoom. Yeah. storytelling via zoom and i can't i can't get into it it's I, I you know i got really frustrated i tried to watch some improv here in vegas which is bad dear it, god it just, why well because i live in vegas and uh i kind of wanted to know what the hell was going on here in that in that particular kind of art form and they were all doing on, on and, and the only thing i suggested to them was if you're going to do scenes on zoom then every scene should be on zoom. Like, yeah, that's your reality. Don't, yeah. don't, don't pretend like you're in the same room. Cause it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. And it was like, they, they just couldn't figure that out. It's like, no, no. But it's like, if, if we're, if we're, if we're, if we're improvising that we're both at a playground, you're not, and we can see you're not. And there's not even the illusion. That Which is like the whole point of like, a theater there's no matter black, no, no matter you know, how like good your object work is you're emptiness. on zoom I'm, yeah you, yeah black black yeah. box theaters exist for a reason to create the world without having to build sets and all that yes yeah so stranded with stranded was in front of a live audience how did that stranded feel was in front of a live audience um you know it was it's theater for young audiences so the and the actors all were masked and um yeah it was uh it was i was I was not expecting a lot because of the masks. I was expecting, you know, mu like muffled speech mm -hmm. and not being able to. Um... So in, in performance, they were in masks. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Although okay. they wore sort of like these clear masks. Hmm. So. Oh, okay. That's cool. So you didn't yeah. write masks into it. It was. Oh God, no. Okay. Okay. No. I mean, yeah, it wasn't, a, it was, uh, it was not about. I mean, if it had been a play about COVID, I would have, but sure. it was not, a, not about that. Um, and yeah, I mean the whole, I went to the, the first rehearsal and got to meet the actors and I don't know if you guys know Jacqueline Stone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. No, Jackie was great. Incredible director, great many, improviser. Many yeah. She yeah. directed it. And um, so it was, I, I love working with her. She's just, she's just got this great, she's like one of those super grounded mm -hmm. directors who has, she's very imaginative and great vision, but she's also always like really grounded in what's happening right now, what needs to be addressed right now. So I just, I have a lot of respect for her. Part of that is because she's such an incredibly good improviser. I mean, she is in. Oh, duh. Yeah. That's the same quality. And, isn't and it? So she's just right there in the moment. She's right I mean, there. I worked with her. She was in postmortem and we did postmortem and I just was like, man, I mean, she's just superlative. Yeah. 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 yeah no. I, yeah. So she's, so she's terrific. And um, the performers were, great and they they got it and mudlark is a cool company because 
uh, I, I was not, I mean, my first thought when, when they approached me about doing a, you know, this, um, they're, they're like 11 to 18 year old kind of age range. And I was like, well, how, now how do I think of a story? And a, the story, the theme that they wanted was like something about kind of related to how we come together after the pandemic and how we show up for each other. And I had this idea for um, like, so you like, you know, the singularity when, when we're all sort of um, human and, and machine intelligence sort of merges mm -hmm. and, you know, we all end up in the metaverse or whatever. Um, and I had this idea for like, what happens a thousand years in the future mm -hmm. when we've been virtual for so long that we've sort of forgotten what it feels like to have physical bodies and like, what might that first generation of people feel like and what might they experience? So again, and like, because it's theater and because these are kids, the characters have to be kids. So it would make sense that they would be that first generation. And, um, so I was like, okay, great. Like, I'm very excited about the idea, but how do I write it for kids? You know, how do I write it like and have the language be simple or make sure they don't have too many problems? Like, right. I don't right. want anybody to cry. And uh, <laughs> and the artistic director- a Rule in playwriting, don't have anybody cry. Don't have anybody least, cry. Don't, don't make your actors cry. <laughs> Their the thing yeah. is kind of like real- theater for real kids. He was like, mm -hmm. just write exactly the play that you want to write. Don't worry about the fact that they're kids. And when yeah. we get the script, you know, when, if, if there are issues, we'll, you know, if there's anything we need to soften or address, we'll do so later, but don't think about that when you're writing. And that was great. Cause, um, cause that's how I wrote it. And we, and there's, you know, death and violence and humor and all sorts of other stuff. And the only thing we had to change, the only thing I missed, there was like one line that had the word God in it. And mm. Jackie came back to me at one point and was like, um, is it okay to change this to gosh? Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you know, the actor isn't comfortable saying God, yeah. like, you know, oh God right. or something. And I was like, of course. And, you know, yeah. um, so yeah, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think the exciting thing about being back in the theater and, and being able to write plays and we should probably talk about Stephen Sondheim. Oh yeah, that's on my list. Just, yeah, you know, it's, it's really one of the best, to me, like one of the best things about being alive is being in a theater with, with, with some great theater going on. There's just, it's yeah. so weird. It's just weird that theater exists and that we can buy tickets to it. And, you know, so, so that was, that was a lot of fun. It's well, speaking so of Sondheim. One of the things I was oh, going to say, ahead, well, it just give me one second. And then, yeah. And then let's talk about Sondheim because, um, but I just, I, I want to read the description of Stranded on the Mudlark Theater website. So a group of <laughs> friends has managed to escape the strand, a society thick with rules and patterns passed down through the ages. They're helping each other find a new way to live in a verdant world so rich, most strand dwellers can't even breathe the air. God damn it. Like that's the word verdant. I mean, come right? on. 
That's a great word. That's like a that's I a ten dollar word. Yeah, that's good. That dude, that's a fifty dollar word. Like right, maybe I suck so. my yeah. teeth and I mean See, now I have to they find live in some a verdant, use for that they word. They live in something. a verdant world so rich they can't even breathe. Fuck. God, that's good. But when one of them gets hurt, the group must choose between forging ahead with their new society and returning home to get her the medical attention she desperately needs. So like this weird choice of, so it feels kind of like futuristic and and science, but also kind of old school, like I don't, medieval. I don't know. This was like how I perceived as i was reading this i don't know why but but very modern in like okay stop it's like science or religion like do we follow the path of our our utopian goals or do we like look let's just get the shit fixed then we're healthy enough to go and follow those utopian goals first i just i don't know that description is just so you and so everything i read from you like the verdant world, so rich. Verdant. Jesus, fuck. It's just, like, well, why, I, why don't I use that word more? I'm like, writing a piece so, right now. Why are I'm, you guys being so nice to me? Well, he's, I, he's, he's just like a so fanboy. Like no, I like verdant. I'm just going to steal from you because I'm writing a piece about how, right now I'm writing a piece about how uh, everybody I know that's middle-aged, if you ask them um, what they were like when they were 20, most people will tell you they were stupid as a fucking rock. Most people go, oh, I didn't know shit when I was 20. I was an idiot when I was 20. All uh, the stupid I things I everything. did when I was like, So my question is, my if that's years. the case, why are we listening to 20-year-olds about anything? Because in 30 years, they're all going to say the same shit. Oh, I was so stupid when I was 20. Uh, I'm going to figure out how to work the word verdant into that essay. I am going to it. It's a challenge. Do it. I, honestly, MT, the reason that we're being so nice to you is because it like, we don't see too many girls that we're not married to. <laughs> we're not good with girls. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I mean, there is admittedly like there's some fanboyness. I, I think like I, I, I like you as a person, like as a, as a like you're my friend. I, I, I like you, whatever, whatever. Do you want to be my friend? Um, but there's like there's a level of cool to you and Dave, your husband, Dave. You you just you guys. I just feel like you guys are so much cooler than Katie. That's like so hilarious because I just remember being at your house for. We were there for like twenty minutes, and I felt so awkward. I was like, I've got like, how are we going to survive this twenty minutes? Isn't that because we're all all nerds? We're all writers. We're all nerds. We're socially awkward and we've all experienced a year and a half of being locked down. So we don't even know just like the kids in the strand. We don't it's we're living in our new verdant world where we can't breathe. Because like we what cannot the hell? breathe the air. It's people. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. And yeah, we yeah. can't even like, and it's not huh. I mean, that's another in this day and age, like we can't even we're talk about so being old. awkward anymore because everybody's awkward and right. you know it's like the competition of who is more awkward but um yeah but yeah so that's that's very very kind of you to say and um uh yeah and I do want to be your friend I do wish that it weren't so awkward to see people in person yeah 
Well, this is what this is what we have Zoom for. So what we have, so we have. Okay, so let's let's make things easier. Let's talk about let's talk about dead people. Let's talk about So Sondheim's passed on. Let's not eulogize the man. Let's just say, what's your favorite Sondheim musical? What's the musical that speaks to you? The oh my most. God! I mean, that's that, a tough question. You got to pick one. That, that is a really one. tough question. While we think of it, I do have a Stephen Sondheim quote. Oh, I love it. I think this speaks to like you know talking about writing. Okay, so here's this guy who is has written just so so many America, brilliant America's musicals. I mean, yeah. he is. And like, how could you pick a favorite? Because like every- Oh, I I can pick a favorite easy. Well, okay, because you have opinions. Yes. You write essays, I write compositions. (laughs) Broadsword, yeah. Um, You write essays, I write compositions. You know, like- Good, yeah. Is there a, is there a, is Sweeney Todd better than a little night music? Yes. It's it is each of those is so exactly what it is like the 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 lyric the way the lyrics are constructed the music like Sweeney Todd is this relentless miserable su- everything's super clever and smart so that's you know neither here nor there but like each one is so it's so perfect for what it is in the story that it's telling so I don't know I guess I. Yeah. So while <laughs> while you're thinking about your favorite one, so just to get back to like writing. So here's what he says about he says he said a bunch of stuff about writing and how hard it is and blah blah blah. <clears throat> Despite all of the above, I still like lying down, scribbling on a pad, tapping on a computer, thumbing through a rhyming dictionary, riffling through a thesaurus, and jumping up sporadically to bang at a piano. Mm. isn't that beautiful that's yeah. like he, he's yeah. well it reminds know. it actually reminds me of have you seen uh the 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 beatles get back the peter jackson Not uh, yet. eight hour marathon sure. i think it's the most wonderful thing i've ever seen in my entire life um because i love the beatles so much and if you're not a beatles fan it's 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 six hours too fucking long however I can sit with them because it makes you feel like you're sitting. And one of the things that I, exactly what you said, is like, no matter how hard it is, this is what I love, is the real payoff to the eight hours. And that's why I recommend, if you like the Beatles, watch the whole thing. Because the payoff is that fucking rooftop concert. And it's the first time in eight hours of documentary where all four of them just come alive they're all for having such well i mean the rooftop concert they're just having such next you're going to tell me that like they broke up during this yeah they're just having but when they're on that rooftop and and i mean that's the thing i didn't realize is they didn't know they were going to be up there until minutes before they actually got up there they hadn't decided they were going to do it paul didn't want to do it george didn't want to do it because it was cold but it was Uh, like you are the worst with spoilers you know it's it was the 70s no, if it was Harry the is going to man. these, if Harry is going to listen to these, he'd be like, "Wait, who are the fuck are the Beatles?" They yeah, okay, well, Rosebud was a sled. Anyway, <laughs> oh my god, you're a. Monster. What I'm saying is, is it's the first time. It's the only time in the movie where all four of them are just filled with joy, and that's exactly what that quote reminds me of. Is like as hard as this yeah. process can be, 
man, when you're doing it, it's just amazing. And there to are get times to do it, to get to do it. And that's the thing, David, such, like yeah. privilege. you're going to get to do it. You're going to get to get back to writing. And well, yeah, you know, here's, here's the funny thing about that is I wonder if it's less about, at least for me, if it's less about the writing as it is about like that, that mania meets the joy meets the panic of all of it because when i was writing the first the first book like i i the last two months before my deadline to the publisher i locked i put myself in lockdown and i was working basically like you know sunrise to sunset and then like through the darkness and like i was insane it was it was coffee adderall red bull bologna sandwich like i was insane that sounds like my every day I loved it. I was just fucking beat. Yes. Beat the shit out of the keyboard and making this and editing. And it's not the best, but it's a good book. It's fine. It's a good book. It's very good. But it's like, actually, it's a very good book. And then when I went to, when I would go up to Michigan with, with Jared Keene and we would write the next novels, um, it was that mania of like, I'm locked down. I'm doing this. And it was that insanity. And then the thrill of finding the groove and being in it. Like, I love that part of it. So with work, there are times and I will work late nights, you know, nine, I'll start, like, I'll put Harry down and hang out with Katie for a bit, eat some dinner and then get to work and like write a, a script or a, a treatment or whatever the fuck it is I need to do through the overnight or I'll get up early at 3am and I'll do, you know, I'll, I do my best work in the overnights. Mm. And like, it's, so it doesn't matter like if I'm writing an essay or a book or a play or a creative treatment for a corporate client about how they can be cool and hip and whatever. It's that thrill of being alone, just me, the keyboard and all the voices and ideas and focusing them in and just going nuts on it and coming out of it and being like, it's, it's like sex. Like I need a cigarette and a cold shower. Like, oh my God, look what I just did. I fuck that shit stupid. It's walking bow legged and slack jawed. What up? Like David's perpetually in college. His his greatest moments in life are in college when he was having lots of sex. It's like I get it. So all of his his metaphors are all basically related to him having sex with someone that uh, I'm a very bow legged after. And they're like, you don't have to give me twenty dollars. That was great. Yeah, yeah. All right. Keep your Quick. 20. Go put it in a slot machine. Put it in a I mean, slot look, machine. I, I, read, I read a lot of Maxim magazine in college. Like there you go. All right. Very quickly, because then we got to move on. Very quickly. No explaction. Just say was, the title. MT, Just I was say 20. the title. It was the 90s. What Stop do you explaining. <laughs> say the title. Your favorite. If if let's put let's, let's let's put it this way. If you're it's it's the uh the sound opinions thing. You're on a desert island. You were only allowed. Oh, okay. Desert Island. Okay. Thank you for the context. Yeah, Desert, yeah, Island. Us, Desert you, Island, I would pick a little night music. So you would pick a little night music. Okay. What would you pick, David? I would pick West Side Story. And I would pick Sweeney Todd. And that's what I love about Stephen Sondheim. You would watch Sweeney Todd like a thousand times. I directed I directed Sweeney Todd. I did musical direction and did the orchestra for Sweeney Todd. I've performed in Sweeney Todd. I love Sweeney Todd 
more than almost any American musical ever written. And it's not just because of the subject matter, which I actually love. It's also, it's so structurally it's perfect. Stru- it is the most there's not brilliant. A, there's not a fingernail wasted. And one of the things a lot of people don't know that I think is amazing is that the score and the, and the vocal score are in two different keys, which is why it's so jarring. I mean, I didn't know that. It's it. I mean, they, it's he's very subtle. Well, actually, it's very subtle how that works out. But I mean, I just think it is the most perfect, like bizarre, sure. like Escher painting of a musical that you could ever get. Yeah. And that's why I love it so much. I love Sweeney Todd. Yeah, and then, but, yeah, West Side pick, Story. Yeah, a little. Yeah, I'll tell you explain. why I picked West Side okay. Story. So when I was a kid. West Side Story, the movie came out in what, 63? That was later than that. Right? 68? But it was 60s. I mean, it was, it was definitely it was 60s. 60s. I thought it was late 60s, but uh, it could be wrong. Okay. So, anyway, but it came out when my dad was young. And when I was a kid, he used to sing it to me. He would sing me the, um, I don't know what the song is actually called, but when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying yeah. day. And he would just sing me like that one part of that verse. So as a kid, I'm like, my dad's singing about cigarettes and gangs and violence. And then I watched the movie with him. And I'm like, oh, my God, like this is. You were like, right. It was 61. Like, he, 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 he just made like street fighting sound really cool and safe and, and normalized for me. And it, it prepared me for the hard the hard life that I had in the really you know rough and tumble streets of. As a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a wealthy Jew kid with a, yeah, 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 you hit it rough. But I mean, but, but there was for me, you know, again, with my dad is not a performer. My mom was the performer in the family. Dad is not. So dad performing in that way and singing that song and choosing to sing that particular song to his like six year old kid about dying and fighting and street, you know, street gangs and cigarettes oh, yeah. and whatever the fuck else. It's just like, that's like just a nice memory for me. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, it's not a bad musical either. It's a right? really like, good musical. A little oh, night it's music. Good. It's good. Tell me, so tell me why a little night music. That, but, tell yeah. me why a little night music and then we get to move on to six things. Um, I guess just because I like the way it sort of slices more sideways through the story, uh, you know, it's, I'm going to, I, it's the $50 words. Like it's sort of rueful and bittersweet and, and, you know, it's not, it's not like precision. It's like, it's like ripples and texture and it's funny and it's romantic and it's, it's, you know, has some regret, which I love. Um, always feel comforted by other people's regret and yeah so it's just well you know it's interesting so like that, if i'm on a desert right. island yeah that's the that, one that's i want, the I want I other want people's to, regret like, to be my, my <laughs> swaddle me my and my, I, yeah. what i think is interesting that each of our choices reflect the way we write in some way in that yeah. empty a little night music is sort of a collage you know it's it's yeah. you know it's sort of a collage and Sweeney Todd is a fucking broadsword. It's a hammer and it's, you know, it's like, a, it's, it's like the chair. It's like this perfect mechanism for death. Yeah. <clears throat> and West Side Story has 
lyric it's lyrical and it's huge but it's also rooted in shakespeare and language and ideas and so yeah i think that's all good yeah perfect i I do real quickly want to say just just as a button before we get into six things that i gotta edit this mc's (laughs) understanding of language and use of language when you said that sweeney todd is like if she's like yes it's a great movie or it's a, it's a great. Uh, I only watched the movie. TV series. Sorry. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a great. A, TV it's series. a great Netflix anime. Um, <laughs> would you say, MT, that there is not in in that in Sondheim's version of Sweeney Todd, quote, MT, there is not a fingernail wasted. <laughs> like that to me, not a fingernail. Wa- <laughs> I, I, don't, I that's what I appreciate so much about your use of language. Like you find the right word in like the strangest, most fascinating, perfect, unstrange, normalized way. All right, Simeon cohort. Here's Don and David with the six things you should do for the week. So my first thing is a, uh, how is it? It's a watch <laughs> because it's literate. We talk so much about writing. Um, it's on, uh, it's on Disney plus it's watch the, the, the Beatles get back. And I, I'm, I'm about halfway through ish. I'm at the, I'm at the front half of halfway through. Here's what I found though. There's a moment and this is a spoiler, but there was a moment after John or, uh, George has walked out. And like the next day they have this meeting and like the Beatles are breaking up, but they don't like, they don't say it yet. But Paul and Ringo show up to work. And there's this moment where it's like, this is happening and they're both crying. And you're like, oh fuck. Like you see like their pain and their frustration and their disappointment and their confusion of like, where the fuck do we go next? And who the fuck are we? Like it's existential. The next scene then is Paul saying something to the effect of, wouldn't it be ironic and funny if in 50 years it's like, oh, they broke up because they couldn't get rid of their girlfriends is basically what he's saying. So he's, he's acknowledging the whole like Yoko Ono broke up the Beatles thing. And then 20 minutes later, Linda is there. Linda McCartney, <laughs> Linda Eastman at the time, but Linda McCartney chimes in with something and Paul says to her, stay out of it, Yoko. So Paul predicts the whole Yoko broke up the Beatles thing or sets the stage for it, however you want to put it. Well, and then makes the first joke, the first Yoko joke. And it's just like, what the f- It's just, it's, all right. it's like watching life- history actually give birth and to now itself. And now having watched the whole Wild. thing and, and, being, and being absorbed since I was a child with the Beatles, I will say that... Uh, my first thing is also Disney Plus, get back, the Beatles get back. What I will tell you is one of the things that I think is quite remarkable about this documentary is it completely and wholeheartedly debunks the Yoko Ono broke them up myth. I've always believed that. Hmm. But I mean, the thing about it is, you know, there was definitely tension, you know, but the tension was not Yoko. The tension was, and Paul says it at least three times in this documentary. The guy's in love. And 
they got to accept that they just want to be, he says it, they just yeah. want to be close to each other. Yeah. We can't, and we can't do that. And there is a moment and you haven't gotten to it yet, but there's a moment in the third reel where they're sitting and listening to, they're in the Apple studios and they're listening to one track. I don't know what the track is. And it's Ringo and it's Yoko and it's John and they're listening and Ringo hands her a piece of gum and she splits it in half to give half to John and looks at Ringo and the smile she gives Ringo is so relaxed and so fucking lovely and the smile he gives her back tells you everything you need to know about the relationship they had with Yoko. Paul and Yoko didn't like each other because she took his buddy, you know, but there wasn't, but if there's anything that I got from this documentary that I'd never really put a beat on is the reason the Beatles broke up primarily. Brian Epstein died. Because Brian Epstein died. And they didn't have anybody to tell him what to do. And Paul tried to, Paul Paul tried yeah, he does. And like, Paul we, tried we to step to in and fill that. the void. The girls at home or whatever the fuck yeah, it is. He yeah. tried to step in and fill the void. And you can't, be one, of, you can't be one of the kids on the playground if you're going to be in charge. And that really caused Paul was fucking 28. They weren't even yeah. 30 when they Ringo broke was up. The oldest. When the All fucking right. Beatles broke up, they weren't even 30. Like, that is insane to So think our about. first things are get back Beatles. I hope, anyway. MP, yours is not. Your first thing is not. Uh, my... First thing is a podcast, uh, latest episode of The Subtext, which is uh, produced by American Theater, but it's uh, this wonderful playwright, uh, Brian James Polak, who has one-on-one conversations with other playwrights. He asks really interesting and sometimes uncomfortable questions and doesn't interrupt a lot. He's He's a great listener. And the most recent episode is with John Patrick Shanley. Mm. And that is where I learned uh, that I don't write essays, I write compositions. And <laughs> I, there were just like so many moments in that interview where I was like, I'm doing it okay. Because, like, <laughs> because John Patrick Shanley's, his, like, he has such a strong sense of himself and his attitude is just like, I'm here and I'm going to be here, you know, and like, fuck everybody else. Um, not in a negative way, but he, he's just, he's, he's, uh, his sort of, his, his story about kind of how he got to where he is and some of the, um, okay, shut up, MT. Just listen to the episode. Uh, he just, he says some very, uh, profound and, and, and inspiring things about writing and about living your life and doing what you do. And, um, and he's got that great, I don't know, what is it long uh, Bronx accent, yeah. which is really lovely. All right. The, the subtext, to. the subtext is the name subtext. of the podcast. Okay. Yep. Excellent. I will listen to it tomorrow when I walk and get my steps. All right, then. When you get your steps. Yeah. David makes fun of me because I call it getting my steps like I'm a, a 35-year-old soccer mom, but that's what I do. I count my steps. You're getting them. You know what? A sledgehammer doesn't go for a walk. A sledgehammer gets the fucking steps. That's what I'm talking no. about. Thank you, yeah. T. Thank you. David? No, a sledgehammer breaks boards. <laughs> a hammer nails nails. Like, just shut the David, what's your second Whatever. Thing? My second thing is get up early and run miles. 
No, Didn't my, you my say second that on thing is one? my <laughs> my second thing is um, it's another watch on Disney Plus. Watch Hawkeye. Yeah, it's good. It's okay. I feel like it's... I need to go back because I feel like I've missed something. All I want to say is I haven't even to like why like what happened to his kids and Christmas, David. I just want you to think about. I just want you to think about this because I I figured this out within, and I haven't seen the third episode. It's out right. It was out last week. I'm going to watch it when we finish recording. Yeah, here. yeah. I haven't seen the third episode, but what I got within the first half of it is this is the the Marvel equivalent to Dickens. This is how they're doing it. This is how they're going. He's got it. I'm telling you. Hawkeye's yeah, going to have sure. a ghost. He's got the ghost of Christmas past in the Ronin suit. Yes. He's got the ghost of yeah. Christmas future with uh, with uh, her. His daughter, his kids. Are the ghost I'm telling you, sure. they're, right. they're working. They, they sat down and said, if we're going to do I Hawkeye for Christmas, let's go this direction. See, I absolutely that strikes me as like an empty thinking, like this weird world of like, let's take a Christmas carol and fucking turn it into a comic book story. Yeah, without let's, making it so obvious. That to me is the let's kind of take shit a Shakespeare. Let's take a Shakespeare tragedy and make it a we musical did. set in New York City, nineteen fifty-six. Yeah, I know. Well, All I right. haven't seen it, but I I will. But that reminds me of. Did you guys see that? Like the one season of Dickensian. Of what? No. Dickensian. No. Somebody, I don't know why there was only one season. I thought it was brilliant. They it, they sort of took all the Dickens stories and put them together into one oh. story. And oh, I have to watch it's that. Just beautiful. I think yeah, I died. It's, it's either it, Netflix or Amazon. I think okay, Netflix. I'm gonna look. I think this popped up in like my thing. Oh, I, I have to look at that. I don't have time for that. I've never even there. heard of it. Yeah. I love but it. But this okay, has to be my one thing. No. All right. Well, my second thing that is a read. Is a read. It is in the Atlantic. Um, it's by Megan Garber. It's an article. It's called The Loss at the Heart of Guy Fieri's Entertainment Empire. The subhead is dinners, drive, diners, sorry, diners, drive-ins, and dives is a mainstay of basic cable and a rallying cry for a country that is losing touch with itself. This is a real, as much as you love, either hate or love Guy Fieri, and, and I think the guy is a genius. I think he's a lovely, you know, lovely man. Well, he's a lovely, lovely man. He, he, he gives to charity. He's just... He did more for but, but Russian workers in, during the pandemic than yeah. anybody else. This like, is really this... Yeah. Megan Garber, this is basically her right. homage to that show, which was him literally going around. And it, well, he was never a food critic. He never criticized the food. It was really about... Here's this little tiny diner, this eat. little tiny dive that is yeah. is a heart of this community. And I want to highlight that. And in thousands of episodes, and you know, they're not, they can't do it anymore because of yeah. the pandemic. And so this is real, it's a really lovely, melancholy uh, mm. uh, article. Um, and I, I highly recommend it. Megan Garber, The Atlantic, The Loss at the Heart of Guy Fieri's Entertainment in Empire. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right, so what's your number Thank two? You. Close it out, MP. Um, so for my number two, if I cannot count Dickensian. Um, yeah. Separate. 
So whatever I say, do you guys have to watch or read or do we whatever do. it is? Yes, we like, do. Out of politeness or whatever. It's just required. Okay. So my second one is. Um, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> is uh. It's uh, so one of my one of my fan, one of my like heroes is uh, uh, Adrian Mishler. You'll go with Adrian, and so I pick uh, her yoga for dancers uh, yoga video. So go to YouTube, Google yoga with Adrian yoga for dancers. It's twenty three minutes long. There you go. Do we have, have to, to do be, the yoga, or can we just watch it? You, no, you have to do it. You have to roll out your mat. Nobody has to be there and you have to just, just, just do it. All right. I really feel like this ties into writing, existential despair. And your own, you know, the sadness of the Atlantic. To joke Um, with us and make us do something that we would never probably do in our lives. Thank you. I would really appreciate it. And um, I, I'm so grateful to you guys for having me on. I, I, love spending this time with you. I hope that I, in some form I get to hear how it goes. And you, and I really hope that you do it and you're not like, all right, I'll just put it on. You can listen to the Literate Ape Cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast, Jones. If you enjoy listening to Two White Guys Holding Court, review or share the show on your own platforms or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com. <laughs>